0: Preventing suicide is one of society's greatest challenges. That's why the Flint Hills Volunteer Center has developed this Suicide Awareness PACT podcast. PACT stands for Prevention, Awareness, Compassion, training this suicide awareness packed podcast will feature personal stories and professional perspectives this podcast series is funded in part by the kansas health foundation americorp seniors and the greater manhattan community foundation our hope is to touch hearts and provide hope amidst despair please follow us wherever you get your podcasts and share them with those you know that are seeking help and hope our website and contact information is included in the show notes
1: Laurie, when you and I first started talking about uh, the Suicide Awareness Pact podcast series, we sat down and gathered a lot of ideas of people to talk with, uh, people who've had different experiences that uh, suicide may or may not have affected them indirectly. Today we're going to visit with a young man who has uh, become a pastor, who's had quite a turn in his life over the last... 20, 25 years or so. And this is going to be a compelling story, and it's one that's based on faith in our Suicide Awareness Pack series.
2: Yes, and, and I'm excited today uh, to have Pastor Troy Hartman with Rock Hills Church. So welcome, Pastor. It's good
3: to be here. Thank you guys for inviting me.
2: I wanted to start with you because, I, again, sharing stories is a, a, a big one, and I, I attend church there, and I heard your story. And I remember the first time I heard your story, I had goosebumps. My thought was how great that you can stand up before everybody and share that story. So I'd like to start with those details and share a little bit about your background.
3: Well, I grew up in Springfield, Missouri area and went to uh, a college in Southwest Missouri. Great experience, actually. I uh, had a good, good time in school, a little too good. Um, and many occasions for sure, you know, so, some of my story would uh, begin with with just the, you know, some of those decisions of having a good time turned into some life controlling issues. And so my story really revolves a lot around alcohol and uh, from from partying days. And, and uh, that kind of started in high school and small town kid, went to a small town and, and uh, grew up on, on, on the farm. Part of my story carried over into college and uh, unfortunately, by the time I got to be a, a junior... Uh, I really had a life controlling issue with alcohol, and and now a lot of people didn't know that. It's hard to it's hard to tell when you're you know partying and binge drinking on the weekends, if that's just normal, if you have an issue. But but uh, but that was kind of my story. So I got to be a junior. Uh, I remember to kind of put that in in a framework, I guess would be I I remember I was by myself on a weekend and just. And drank until I blacked out, and woke up and and just thought, man, I do not like who I am. It's no longer fun. It's just something I'm just doing. Something I'm doing. You know, looking back, uh, I have a lot of different perspective on why. But but during the time, I just you know, I just thought this is what I everyone else was doing, and I was doing. And my senior year, I realized, man, I, I have I have a problem, and uh, I didn't know who to. So I didn't tell anybody. I had some friends that. Or partiers with me, and that's kind of one one inclination I got. I guess is I had other friends that were were partying with me on the weekend. Started to say, "Hey, you okay? <laughs> we're concerned with you. You're making some pretty bad decisions." And I, that should have been the light bulb of, "Oh wow, you're you're asking me that, and you're doing what I'm doing." And so I could tell their concern, uh, you know, started to highlight. Uh-oh. Uh oh. But I didn't know who to go to, and I didn't know what to do. And I was a criminal justice major which uh, my life is full of irony. And that was very ironic uh, because those don't go good together. And so I wanted to be United States Marshal. And and so um, I was kind of heading down, uh, maybe Highway Patrol was where I landed in Kansas. I was in Missouri, but Kansas was a possibility. And I started trying to come up with a purpose and projects uh, to steer me in a different direction, and uh, and and dating a girl who uh, really loved the Lord and and was different than girls I had dated before her, and that really helped uh, start to give me more of a direction, but not enough. Um, and so, kind of in secret, I was still having problems with drinking. And, so that that's basically how I finished out school, uh, graduated, which was a miracle, really, in and of itself. And but I finished school, and uh, I was supposed to go from from graduating, and I think I think ten days later I was supposed to start the academy in Salina, the Highway Patrol Academy. But I graduated in December, so we were going to have a New Year's Eve party. I played basketball at this really small school. It's, nothing to to really be too excited about it's like glorified high school <laughs> a little bit small school and uh but we, we we're gonna have a party with our team uh for new year's eve i went home after i graduated and i remember thinking like i don't i probably don't need to go i've done a better job this semester stepping away from some of those decisions i've been making and i and it probably wouldn't be wise to go back but i had a bunch of friends i knew I wouldn't see again so i went again and, um, that night we did what we had done, you know, throughout college and drank, played card games and, you know, same, same, similar thing. But unfortunately, I had, I made multiple decisions to drink and drive. And, and, uh, even though I was against it, like we talked about it in class. And I remember, talking about mad and uh, being all for that and against harsh punishment for those who chose to do that but yet doing it myself that's just the duplicity of my life in that season and and so I made a decision that night to drive for a friend because I thought you know've I've done this for a long time and I'm fine and uh, so I drove and my friend Matt Jones was at the party that night he got off late from work and and, uh, so he hit it pretty heavy to try to catch up with the rest of us. And so I was like, I'll, I'll drive. So I took his keys, you know, it was a year of, uh, New Year's Eve. So 2000, been a while back and I remember watching the ball drop on TV and then we stayed a little while longer and I made a decision. We're going to go see another friend. And, uh, and so we drove to see another friend, saw that friend, and then I was on the way back and, uh, just lost control around a corner and ran off a ravine and my friend, Matt, um, uh, he was a year younger than me in school. Uh, he was thrown out of the sunroof and you know at the time it was in the middle of the night I didn't really know what was going on uh, other than we had an accident but but to later found out we drove off a, a bluff basically ravine uh, about forty feet and uh it was it was a pretty bad scene uh, I was knocked out when I came to my friend was lying outside the explorer I can I've told this thousands of times I can still visualize it every time and, and what that was like. And, um, so I held him in my arms and he was incoherent about breathing and I could just sense this is, he's bad. This isn't good. And so I, I decided I got to go get help. And, uh, uh, but we're in the Ozarks in the middle of nowhere. And literally, and if you've ever heard the term the sticks, that's, that's where we were. And so I started to climb out the ravine and, and, um, Took me a long time to get out and then ran. The closest home, I think, was over a couple miles away. Went to a house, knocked on the doors. The whole story with that, with the family who, who, a young, young teenage kid answered, I said, I need to use your phone. I called 911 until the paramedics got there. And then, and then this dad, by the time I was in there using the phone because this kid let me in his house. And this is, I didn't even realize all this till later. I talked to them later. And, uh, but, but the dad woke up and was like, what's this guy doing in my house on the phone? And, uh, so I was explaining to the ambulance, how to get there and to this guy, why I'm in his house, using his phone, this teenager let me in when I knocked the door in the middle of the night, you know? So they ended up giving me a ride back down to the, uh, the accident. And, um, so by the time I got there, they put a tracheotomy in my friend's throat, his cl- lungs had collapsed and, and, uh, they found out I was the driver. So I, I went back up on the she the lady there said, You need a the highway trollman's looking for you. you need to go back up on the top of the hill and when I did, I remember getting up on that road and and uh seeing the highway trollman there, and he had taught a couple of my classes, so he knew me, and I knew him, and that was just another i mean it was so surreal um so I just remember him looking at me and and uh you know he they had seen beer cans in the car, so they they he was already aware. And he said, have you been drinking? I said, yes, sir. I've had too much to be driving. And so he placed me under arrest, and I watched in the back of the car, and they pulled out uh, my friend on a backboard and put in the ambulance and drove off. And and then I sat in there and watched him hook up uh, the Explorer, pull it out of a ravine with a wrecker. And then he got back in. We went to the courthouse. And, and uh, when I got there, uh, the phone rang. They he went and answered it and came back and said your friend matt died on the way to the hospital and he said i'm trying to have to charge you with voluntary manslaughter and uh so spent that night in jail um just trying to process if this this really happened i mean i just graduated college um i'm on my way to my career and i just destroyed a family and there's a whole story As there always is, more than what we see with my friend's family, and uh, so they they were already having some hard times. His mom, who I never met at the time, but were having some struggles in their marriage, and uh, I think they were already on their way to divorce. And uh, but but that 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 did happen. And then uh, Matt had two younger brothers, teenagers Brian and Jeremiah, and a sister that I had just graduated with. So we were all. Matt, my friend, and his sister—we were pretty close in a small school, but I hadn't met his brothers before. But you know, that night I know that they're finding out that they had just lost, you know, their brother and a son. And and I just thought, I never—I always try to get along with everybody, never wanted to hurt anybody, but but my decisions had, and and I always had good intentions. I I share the story quite a bit, and I'll talk about like I had great intentions, but. But poor decisions lead you to a destination you don't want to end up at. And here here I was in a destination that I just never thought I would be at. And so um, my parents bonded me out and I was at my mom's house for a couple of days. And of course, I had friends, you know, that it was so hard for my friends in a small school because, you know, they were friends with both of us. So on one hand, the friend had passed away and they were were grieving. On the other hand, they were grieving for me uh, as well. And, you know, this is pre-cell phone days, right? And so I got a phone call and it was, uh, my friend Matt's mom, Mary, and she had tracked me down. She said, Troy, I love you and I forgive you. And I had not met her, uh, before that moment. That was the first time we had met over the phone. And, uh, and pretty much I just said, I, you know, I didn't know what to say. I said, I'm so sorry. And we just wept on the phone. And then after a while, she said, you know, we'd love for you to come to the funeral. So I said, well, if you, would allow me to come. I, I I would love to be there, of course. And and so we went to St. Louis. He's from St. Louis area. So a bunch of us drove there, and and uh, man, uh, that was hard. That was hard. I
2: kind of can relate to a little bit of this too, because I remember back when my son uh, was a strong Christian and and would go to high school carrying his Bible and mm. and that and uh, was. Basically teased and bullied because some of them would get together and and uh, have a prayer moment and stuff like that. But I think that the teasing and the bullying got to be too much to where he went the opposite direction and started with the alcohol and then it you know went into into drugs and stuff. As somebody said too, you know it's 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 an ad- addiction you. You know, it's just like going in. You have cancer. You have this. You have that. It's something that, you know, we can't control. Sometimes, you know, and when we're in that in that position, so um, and it was really hard for me because I've never done drugs. (laughs) Not a drinker, and so I didn't see those signs. You know, and one of these things, since we got into um, doing this, and I, uh, which led me to a, a training with the Yellow Ribbon Suicide Prevention Program, and so I became a certified suicide prevention trainer and develop this task force so that we can open up and educate and and talk about those warning signs and and all of that. And and one of the things, Pastor Troy, that uh, really hit home with me is last month's um, message on um, bounce back. Mm -hmm. And that's one of the things I keep thinking about with what we're talking with, with all these different people and what we're doing is y- you, you can bounce back. Y- and you, you told some great stories about that in your sermons and stuff about, uh, you know, bounce back. Do you want to talk a little bit about some of those things that you said?
3: Well, it's no quick process, um, for sure. I think uh, for me, you know, everybody's story, I think they're principles that transcend. Um, but, but everybody's story is a little bit different. Uh, So for me, the forgiveness factor from my friend's mom was was huge. I know I talked to a lot of people who have similar alcohol stories with tragedies, and not everybody has that uh, story. Uh, which, which is hard when it comes to forgiveness. But that was an that was open door for me to find healing. And it wasn't short-lived either. It was long-term. So, so for Bouncing Back to have that support of uh, really really did find freedom and forgiveness of, okay, now I can, the, the harder, harder for me and my story is myself. Um, and, and so that's, that's an ongoing journey. But I think I immediately began to share my story. I mean immediately. I don't even know if that was healthy. Within a couple of weeks, I was talking to teenagers about it and just the circumstances that kinda of lined up at the church I started going to after after the funeral, you know, basically and I share this, but Mary Mary at the funeral again said, I love you, I forgive you. If you give your life to God, he will use it for good. And I at that point in my life, you know, I was like, I think God exists, but nah didn't really want him too close to my, I want to do my own thing. And I honestly didn't really know if he did or not. But I went back to church, basically, she made that statement. And I thought, well, I'm going to follow through with what she wants me to do. That's what I should do. It's the right thing to do. And it was in that setting where personally, I realized that Jesus is very real. And and so for me, beginning to share that story, it started out with helping young people realize there are consequences to your decision. That's really Kind of the first setting that I began to share. There are consequences to your decisions and that causes pain, and, and, uh, but God can forgive. And in that, um, I didn't realize it at the time, but that was my healing process beginning to share it a lot.
2: You know, on that, that note, um, I know it, it happened with me and, and we had somebody on the podcast that brought this up that after her son died by suicide, a family member came up and, and said to her, "Did he go to heaven or did he go to hell?" And then kept coming back to that, asking her. And she's sitting there, "I, I don't know." And when my son died, that's what someone said too—that um, he went to hell. He didn't go to heaven. And I really struggled with that. And I, I was—I remember being kind of angry. And I thought, "Well, wait. My son laid there three days. I couldn't find him. And then, you know, and that. And I thought." From what we understand um, by records and stuff, his last conversation uh, was actually with Jerry Hutchison. He used to work with Jerry at Angel 95, and uh, I remember him telling me that he said uh, one of the last things he said on that conversation was uh, he wanted to get right with God. And so I thought, okay, that reminds me, Jesus in the tomb for three days, you know, Shane had to be there for three days getting right, you know, and stuff like that. But it brought up this conversation. I don't know if if Wilma ever got the answer to that question, did he go to heaven or did he go to hell? And I thought, that's really a tough thing to say to a mother who's just lost a child, you know, so.
1: And what a difference in response from the person that said that to you. Compared to what Matt's mother said to you. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And and that's one of the things that, you know, and Laurie and I've had this talk and, you know, it's, it's like, you know, gosh, you know, it's very awkward at a funeral setting. How do you, what do you say to the person that's most connected to the one that's passed? And here you had a woman who believed in you and basically led you on the path to where you are today. Was there a time in your life where you felt like that your life should have been over, as well as, you know, considering what happened to to Matt?
3: Yes. Circumstantially or mentally or both? Yes. Yes. Both? Yes. Yes. There's many, uh, living the lifestyle I lived for a while, many times I should not be here. Um, and then mentally, I would, you know, I would, I want to be. Uh, careful to not say something I didn't experience for sure. Um, So I personally, I thought ending my life was was not an option um, because I felt like, nope, you need to deal with what you've done. Having said that, I didn't want to live for quite a while um, because I was in a dark place, not good. So, you know, I already wasn't real excited about who I was before this happened. So now I have this public tragedy that in my, in my little world, in that area, everybody knew about, I mean, it's all Southwest Missouri. I felt like knew, and it was very public in the paper and on the news. You know, I, I was in a dark place of, I knew I didn't want to, I wasn't going to take my life, but I didn't want to be in public and I didn't like who I was. And, and I prayed honestly that God only know if you're real, but I'd, if you, if you could just take me, that would be an easier way out, and uh, which wasn't true. But that's what I thought.
2: And that's one time. of the things we talk about through all of this is with everybody we've had on. We all grieve differently because mm-hmm. um, it took me ten years. I just isolated, and that's one of the warning signs that we we teach now is 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 the isolation. But you know, it for me it was really tough because people were curious. Uh, you know, the newspaper said he died by a heart attack. This one said this, this one said that. And then people were coming up to you and asking you. And it's like, uh, someone said to me, knowledge is power. And at that time, I thought I'm giving up. I'm not saying anything anymore because nobody's going to gain power from my pain. And it took me a long time. And I blamed myself because I wasn't there for him. You know, I should have seen this. I should have done this. I should have protected him and all that. So as a mom, I blamed myself, you know, for this. And so I, I had to learn that, you know, it, it wasn't me, you know, and and, and we we're talking about forgiveness and, and stuff like that. So um it's just a journey that we all go on and and it's a journey we all do differently, you know, and it's okay.
3: Yeah, absolutely. I, I think to the, to the bounce back. I mean, I'm bouncing back. I, I I think you don't ever get over it. I think you go through it. I'm sure that's things you've talked about, but but that that can be a nice sentence in a sermon, but it's really true. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I think people say, I've had people say things, the strangest things to me. And I'm sure I've said things that were not appropriate in the time when not knowing what to say. I've hopefully grown over that in the years of knowing what to and what not to. Um, but I honestly just think sometimes people are just unknowing, but also insensitive. Why on earth would you ask the question that you just said somebody asked you in that setting? There might be an appropriate time and a relationship to have that discussion, but sometimes people don't ask those in the appropriate setting.
2: Yeah, and that's why I'm hoping by sharing stories and talking about it, that we we educate people, you know, in in how do you, you know, how do you talk to somebody? And and the reason we're doing this, you know, because the the suicide rates are getting younger and younger. Mm -hmm. And so we want to address that.
1: Troy, at what point did you decide that you needed to follow a calling?
3: That's a great question. You know, to be genuine, it was, uh, I would say, a couple months, maybe, Where I got to the point where, uh, when I say I started going to church, I mean, I, I was as involved as you could possibly be because, you know, I was, I was awaiting my sentencing date, which was, that was in January. So sentencing date was May. And, uh, you know, I couldn't drive. And so people had to take me places for a while. And, and, uh, and so I just totally went to church. I didn't know what else to do. I lost my, my friend base because I wasn't doing what they were doing anymore. I tried to be respectful for that, and some people understood, and a lot of them didn't. I lost most of my friends because they just thought, one, it was tragic, and then enough time went by, which honestly wasn't just a few weeks. That was like, oh, he's self-righteous, which was never my goal. And I never even told anybody, this is what you should do. It was just kind of how that played out. And so the church became my new everything, community. So long way around to answer your question is it was probably a couple months where I felt like what people had told me, give your life to God and he's going to use it for good. And all those things I had heard at that point, but I didn't really believe it. I had a a moment where I felt like the Holy Spirit uh, spoke. I didn't hear an audible voice. I never have, but I felt like the Holy Spirit said to my gut, I love you and I forgive you. And if you give me your life, I'll use it for good. The same thing that Mary had said to me. And I think that was how God used that to get my attention, to let me know that he was real.
2: What has been something that's always been stayed with me is waited three days, couldn't find my son and all that. And on that Monday morning, I was getting ready and this voice said to me, go to Shane, he's with me. And I knew it was God and I knew at that point he was gone. I, ju- I just knew it, you know, and I got there and and he, and he was. So... I understand that, and I think that just shows me that he had that time with my son and took my son, you know, uh, you know, to heaven with him. But that's interesting that you can hear that that voice.
3: My friend Matt's mother, who is, she's the one that should be interviewed. She's incredible. Um, She said the Lord woke her up that night, and um, she didn't obviously know uh, what was taking place, uh, but. But just she said, I felt like the Lord was preparing me to be to be strong. Of course, she was devastated and grieved like all mamas would, um, beyond what I could comprehend. Um, but she, you know, she said felt like the Holy Spirit encouraged her that there's been one life lost. Don't let there be another one. And so she felt like the Lord was giving her strength to be my strength in her setting, which I still am wrapping my mind around that. Um, but like you had mentioned earlier, this the the power and forgiveness of how that's been her her moment of not even knowing the extent of what that would do, how the Lord has used that over the years to thousands of people um is mind boggling and love beyond reason is is very powerful.
1: Pastor Troy, do you feel like your experience has led you to become the leader that you are within Rock Hills Church?
3: Absolutely. Yeah. In every way. Yeah, just an understanding of brokenness. I think there's a level of authenticity that connects with people. I think that helps open the door to trust faster. Um, And just being real, just being open to share your story, let somebody else know like, okay, I don't have to have it all figured out. This guy doesn't. The lead pastor doesn't or didn't and still doesn't. so yeah, I think leadership in every way is just, is leading out of brokenness, but also growing not you know, I, didn't, I don't I'm not who I once was either, you know. Uh, so so I've grown a lot and um, and that's been by the help of the Lord for sure, but he's also put people around me. I think having a purpose uh, as this has been said by secular psychologists, having a purpose that pulls you out of your pain has been huge for me. So I, I get the opportunity to help help people, you know, believe that they can make it.
1: You um expressed earlier off the mic that you have partners, not necessarily members, but people that are uh, part of your congregation. Do they all know your story? Do you oh, share yeah. that with them? And and is that just like a dose of reality that they can embrace because it's just like here's someone who's probably lived something lived through something that's a whole lot worse than what I'm dealing with. Yeah, or at I, least maybe so. he gets it.
3: Well, I don't know if they think he gets it. They probably still wonder who is this guy <laughs> and, and what does he get? Um, but I, I lead with it. I lead with, I'm, I'm, I'm not, I wish, I wish I could have leveraged influence in another way for productivity than, than having to experience what I experienced. But i'm not I'm not ashamed of sharing it because look at the difference that it's made.
2: And that's one of the things that we're talking about now with our task force and everything is is we we got to talk about that. And like I said, I no longer feel ashamed. I no longer feel this and and we can't have the, those kinds of feelings. And I know when I was searching for a church, I think the first or second time I came, you told your sp- your story and I thought, okay, this is where I'm supposed to be. And so, uh, but I, I like I said, this this past month has been great. Uh, how to t- take tragedy, how we do things, bounce back, and move forward.
1: Moving forward is sometimes one of the most challenging things, but it's Absolutely. it's the it's the real perspective that anyone that's dealing with a tragedy, whether it be any kind of loss whether it be by suicide or, you know, like me with a, a cancerous death with my wife, the situation that uh, that you experience, being able to embrace what you've experienced and being able to move forward, sharing your stories, that is powerful and therapeutic.
3: Yeah. Yeah. I agree. I agree. Thank yep. you for sharing your story. I'm glad to. Thank thanks thanks you for, for coming. Absolutely.
0: We hope you or someone you love can benefit from this series. If you need help, reach out to the many resources available. Many are listed in our show notes. The Flint Hills Volunteer Center Suicide Awareness Packed Podcast Series is funded in part by the Kansas Health Foundation, AmeriCorps Seniors, and the Greater Manhattan Community Foundation. Follow us wherever you get your podcasts and share them with those you know that are seeking help and hope.